0: Hey everyone, this is James Mackey and welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. Join us as we cover high-level thought leadership and step-by-step guides on how to make people a competitive advantage for your organization. I'm incredibly proud to be the CEO of Secure Vision, the sponsor of this show and the number one contract recruiting, embedded recruiting, and RPO firm. A thank you to our partners, Greenhouse, the hiring operating system for people-first companies, and Jem, the all-in-one hiring solution recruiters love. Let's go! Hello, I'm your host James Mackey. Welcome to the Hiring Success Show. I'm really excited about today's episode. We have a good friend of mine on the show, Boris Epstein. Boris, thanks for joining me today.
1: How are you doing, James? Good, uh, good to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm I'm really excited for the topics that we outlined in our, our prep call. We got a lot of good stuff that's going to be very valuable and help guide uh, talent strategy for folks. Before we jump into the topics, would you mind providing a, a brief introduction?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Boris Epstein. I've uh, been in the in the recruiting and talent uh, game for a long time. Um, I started a company called Bank twenty one years ago in two thousand and two, uh, and ran it very successfully uh, up until twenty twenty uh, one, which when we got acquired by Robinhood, and I joined Robinhood. Spent my first year there um, in uh, recruiting M and A, so working really closely with Corp Dev. Uh, in acquiring companies and then spent my uh, last year there uh, as head of talent acquisition. Um, and I just moved on uh, from Robinhood. So I'm in the very early days of figuring out uh, what's next. For the audience, uh, Bink uh, was a, a tech focused uh, recruiting uh, agency. Um, we pioneered what the market now considers boutique tech uh, RPO. Uh, so we um, you know, developed an you know, innovative way to Work on the inside of growing technology companies to help them meet their hiring goals within a compressed uh, time period. We started doing that in the 09 like, 10 uh, timeframe and kind of, you know, ran that whole uh, growth cycle uh, that we just experienced this uh, past decade. So we were on the, uh, you know, on, on the inside of the very early days at Pinterest and Airbnb and Ripple, and uh, in our later days, I spent more time at the high-growth uh, companies of Square, Stripe. Uh, Robin Hood was a, was a great client of ours and uh, so on and uh, so forth. It was a great time. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of great uh, recruiting uh, you know, alumni out in the, in the, in the com- community, community uh, still representing those uh, practices and values.
0: You're, you have a great reputation in the tech space. Uh, most folks in talent and technology that have been around uh, and are, are well connected have, have heard of you. And, and um, you know, I really enjoyed speaking with you over the past, uh, I think it's, it's been at least a year, maybe even two years now. I don't I don't know. How long have we known each other at this point? It's, I'd it's say like a year. Time, least, time yeah.
1: of flies and is as yeah. nebulous. Uh, I don't know. Days.
0: Yeah, five or years, people's. one year. I don't know anymore. Anyways, yeah, I, I'm really excited. And I think one of the things we discussed during your time building bank, a, a big part of what you did when you went inside companies was, of course, your team was providing support with the hands-on recruiting. But as we all know, right, or most of us know, it's, it's, not enough to have great recruiters. Like you need to have a, a talent-first culture, and you have to have certain pieces in place to put together an attractive offering uh, for candidates to convert them into employees. And you have to have an attractive offering for employees as well to ensure that they stay and they're happy and whatnot, uh, and can yeah. kind of fulfill that like life cycle, if you will. So, um, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts. Like, let's say you're going into a high growth growth stage company, they have a big funding around, or there's some some type of growth event where they have decided that they need to hire. What like when you're going into that environment, of course, there's the horsepower aspect of recruiting, but what else are you doing from those early stages in that partnership to actually ensure that they can hire successfully, right? Beyond the, the horsepower piece, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Cause a lot of what, you know, like our team would 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 bring to the equation is the horsepower to know to to amplify uh whatever it is that might you know already be working but at a considerably smaller uh, scale um one one of the first things that we uh look for uh because any 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 client that we take on uh, we have to believe that uh, we could achieve hiring success uh for them of course you know recruiting can only you know achieve one part of, of hiring success uh because ultimately no candidates ever choose to join the recruiter they're working with Candidates always only choose to join the company uh, that's being represented. So the company has to, you know, be kind of like, you know, like be like worthy of the 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 recruiting effort, uh, so to say, and be able to ultimately attract uh, and and retain that talent. Um, So the the things that we would look for um, first and foremost is the is is the story. Um, So we we, we'd like to connect with uh, someone as close to the founder as uh, possible um, and hear their story of. Know, where did they come from before the company even existed? What was the impetus for the for the company uh, getting started? Um, what was the you know early success story? How did it get to where it is today? Uh, you know what's going on in the world that this company is is solving uh, that, that that's compelling. What unique approach uh, is the company taking uh, that's differentiating from its respective uh, competition? Um, what's its respective talent philosophy? Who all is involved? Uh, and you know, fulfilling on this mission with this with this company. Who are the investors? Who's on the team? Who's on the leadership team? Um, what's like the you know talent um, you know ethos? Um, and then what's their uh, talent aspirations? You know, who do they want to attract? Why should those people uh, be attracted to uh, this respective opportunity? What does the process look like? Um, and what's the you know ultimate compelling reason that 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 those individuals should ultimately choose to join above and beyond the many other uh, great options that exist. In our ecosystem so we, we we look for um something unique and distinguished and high value in that uh, uh, in that value proposition um, that, that we then as the recruiting arm believe we could amplify uh, to a broader side of the market usually when a company that's in high growth um, what they usually need help with is the amplification part um, but if you amplify a mediocre value proposition you're going to get mediocre talent uh, if there's something really you know unique and distinctive there, and you amplify that, that's really where kind of the magic happens. So we were we, we did a pretty good job of being able to identify these companies in the identifying of you know like Pinterest before anyone knew what a virtual pinboard was, for example, or um, you know a, 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 other companies of that uh, sort that were on the kind of earlier side of what later became an obvious place uh, to to be.
0: Sure, and it's I think too there there must have been situations in which like companies needed help uncovering really what their uh, employee or candidate value proposition was. Right. I mean, like, I think that there's, that must've been the case. So like, were you, did you also kind of work with the companies on fine tuning that messaging or, you know, they might've thought like, Hey, this is a good value proposition, but in reality, given the fact that you have experience working with several Growth stage tech companies, you know, like well, everybody says that we actually have to dial into this part of the mission or this part of the reason why the company was started. I'm just wondering, like, how much work did you do, kind of fine tuning that message, and what did that process look like?
1: If yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I, I wish there was like a, a really neat little framework uh, that can be followed for you know listeners of the podcast to be able to follow. Um, it, it really does take um, the um, you know, acute listening to uh, founders, to other employees of the company and really simply asking the question, um, like, what, why are you here? Why are you compelled to be here uh, versus the you know, many other places that you could possibly be? Um, if you ask like, you know, a lot, a lot of people are hiring engineers, uh, for, for example, if you ask 10 incredibly talented engineers at any given company, why they're there uh, versus whatever other options they likely have to go work for. Um, you're gonna get something you know unique and distinctive um, about that uh, about what's attractive uh, at that company. So that's 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 one you know very important data point. Um, the other important data point is from the candidates. So when you go out to candidates, um, you might think you have a compelling value proposition, but you're not going to know uh, if it's compelling until the person who you aspire to get chooses to accept an offer with you and join your join your company. So um, when that when that person does choose to accept your your offer, um, you want to ask them why they, why they accepted it. Um, and that may seem uh, either, either obvious or, or, or not obvious, um, but um, getting, you know, your finger on the pulse of why people are ultimately joining and why people are responding to you um, is a, a second major data point. So once you have those two data points, you could then kind of curate your you know follow on messaging uh, to basically like, you know, hit at that, hit at that, at that essence. Um, and, you know, I've been involved in a lot of different experiences where, you know, you start thinking, you know, one thing's the value prop, uh, but it turns out to be something completely different. Or you start with, you know, knowing that it's a mediocre value prop. Um, and then, and then through that process, uh, you uh, learn that um, you can, you know, put, you, you ultimately land on whatever ends up uh, being the thing that, that thing that works.
0: Yeah. It's um, I think too, when it comes to value proposition, like sometimes I think companies feel like they need to have this, uh, and, credible product that's going to change the world or you know, something to that effect, which is really actually not necessary. I mean, some folks might be really buying into that mission, but the reality is that just having, you know, focusing on like fundamental things that people care about, like when it comes to a healthy culture, um, a good kind of work-life balance, great professional development opportunities where, uh, you know, uh, leaders and the company cultures, helping them invest in, uh, their own professional development. And they're actually, you know, I recorded a show, uh, earlier today, a podcast earlier today with Sandy, Sandy gold, who's a chief people officer. He ran, uh, people for companies like, um, Verizon media. He was there, uh, for like when they, uh, when that new company was like format, uh, for, uh, formated. And then he was yeah. at, um, uh, Yahoo and did the turnaround there and a lot of like big organizations. And so um, you know, he was kind of talking about how like one of the first things that they would do to turn around to attract great people is they would focus on the concept of like internal hiring, right? Like moving people, reskilling folks, and allow, you know, giving opportunities for great people to move within the company. And it's it's things like that where it's it's like you can create this compelling culture for people that are coming into the organization. And really, just kind of embracing that, like people first, talent first, culture, uh, right? And I mean, it's like for me, for our companies, Bink, and you know, I'm assuming you probably had a similar experience. But at Secure Vision, we do essentially very similar, at least to what Bink did in terms of embedded recruiting for the the tech industry. We're doing it's recruiting services, like that's what we do. That's our and so, like from a mission standpoint. Really dialing into the people first capacity models to ensure folks aren't overworked. Good benefits, work-life balance, diversity—those types of items were really what we dialed into to create an environment where folks really, really wanted to work. And that became our value proposition. And you could—and what's interesting is you would think like, well, anybody can replicate that. You know, it's—it's it's, are we really building something that's truly really different? The reality is like, yeah people would come to us because a lot of other recruiting agencies were not putting an emphasis on their experience and so right. we were able to attract some really amazing people as a result of that strategy.
1: Yeah, and so uh it sounds like you're, you know, dialed in uh to what your, you know, current team and uh aspiring team, you know, values. And that's ultimately what it's what it's about. I think you, you know, companies want to be um authentic to themselves because there's something authentic about every uh you know founder every company every uh uh every every team um so you want to be authentic to that you want to be able to you know express whatever that authenticity respectively is to your current team so that they know why they're there and should stay and then you want to be able to express that to your uh you know aspiring team so that they know why they should join you versus you know whoever other might sound like a like a competitor um that's a good point you bring up about the internal uh, mobility component um at the last uh the last LinkedIn conference, uh, career mobility and internal mobility, headlined uh, the um, headline that whole uh, um, uh, show, um, and it probably you know spoke to the you know times that we're a part of, right? Like companies are getting a little bit leaner, a uh, little, little little lighter on the on the hiring output, um, and retention you know of key people is critical, um, and, and you know, great internal mobility programs is critical uh, to the you know continued retention of great uh, people. So smart smart move. Uh, that sounds like Sandy uh, kind of played at some of those, those places.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a really good episode to check out. Um, very, very smart guy. And I think um, this is a good segue just to building culture around hiring and people. I think, you know, making hiring a competitive advantage often requires a cultural shift to a talent first organization. Um, really trying to get the mindset of like, in business, we essentially have two customers. We have the customers of revenue that provide revenue but we also sort of have to look at employees as customers and we have to create a compelling employee journey and experience there uh, in order to attract and retain the best folks. So um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on like what a talent first organization, uh, a hiring first organization means to you. Like how do you like in those good environments, how do you see leaders collaborate together? How does everybody kind of work together to achieve, you know, great hiring outcomes?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think when you when when you when you look at organizations, there are organizations that you know say they are something first, and it could be you know product first, it could be customer first, it could be you know talent first, it could be people first. Um, you know, companies that value their talent uh, first uh, or their or their people first, um, they tend to kind of emulate those uh, cultures where uh, it's clear that hiring is a priority and it's clear that the retention of the great people uh, that are brought in. Uh, is is important. Um, often that starts with a with a founder or some uh, you know leader at the at the company. Um, and you could hear in their you know talking points as they address the uh, as they address the company when they talk about the importance of the of, of the people that they employ, of the talent that they employ, of their kind of competitive uh, uh, you know position in the in the respective market. So um, you know from the top down, uh, you know clearly stating the importance of the of, of the people that are that are employed. Um, now that then waterfalls down to, uh, department leaders and hiring managers. Um, you want, uh, you, you want, you want leaders to, um, embrace the, uh, notion of talent being the, the priority for their respective organization. So they're setting a high bar, uh, for their recruiting, uh, counterparts. They're setting a clear direction for the you know, talent, um, that is critical for them to be employing. Uh, they're leading the charge in the form of uh, engaging that talent, um, blocking out time on their calendar uh, to uh, uh, recruit these individuals. They're driving referrals themselves. Uh, they're incentivizing and promoting for their team uh, to be involved in uh, generating referrals. Uh, they're um, respecting and promoting the need for their team to be involved in interviews, given the importance of uh, that role in the uh, respective uh, interview process, they're celebrating new talent uh, when it's respectively brought into the in, in, into the door. They're maintaining great relationship with folks who move on, knowing the importance of uh, alumni uh, community and continued uh, uh, you know r- referrals and uh, kind of you know talent brand benefactors on the uh, outside. Um, so those are all you know tidbits of what a hiring culture uh, looks like. Um, and then when you're a part of a hiring culture. Uh, you know that you know talent is you know critical to the success of this organization. The talent that works there uh, is highly valued and the um, uh, and and there's a, a critical uh, degree of value placed on the new talent that needs to be uh, brought in and the companies that say that they kind of you, you you see them put their money where that mouth is and that eventually pays uh complete dividends because uh, you'll see them um, have strong talent brand uh, as a result. they'll have strong, uh referral flow um, and they'll have strong um, uh, t- team-wide engagement uh, with respect to the players internally that it takes uh, to consummate a a, a hire. And yeah. obviously contrast that with the opposite, right? And then you kind of can, can you know start to envision uh, what a very like lethargic uh, hiring culture it looked like.
0: Yeah, one of the interesting lessons I learned from uh, Steve Cadigan, he was the first uh, chief HR officer uh, at LinkedIn and I was lucky enough to have him uh as a as a mentor a couple of years uh back. And um, you know, I, I learned a lot from him. But uh, you know, one of the things that he talked about on LinkedIn when he was scaling the company from like I think a not a handful of folks, or maybe it was a couple hundred, I, I can't remember when he came in, to around three thousand was that on every executive meeting, the first thing that they talked about was hiring and talent. Like it was yeah. the top of the priority list. And so I think it's like too just like setting the tone, right, like through certain, you know, through those kind of executive meetings and and leadership meetings, like it's the prioritization, right? Like what gets measured is what gets done is kind of, you know, one way to look at it. But it's, you know, how we set the tone for our our leadership meetings and what we cover first and what we're prioritizing will also kind of set the tone for the culture as well. So I always thought that it was just kind of an interesting little like factoid that he shared with me. Yeah.
1: And that, that, that's really good insight. And, you know, in the last decade, right, all roads led to growth, right? And because, you know, the hiring of new people opened up the door to a new product build, which opened up the door to, um, you know, new, uh, you know, valuations and respective company success. Um, it's not growth at all costs at this point, though, being able to attract uh, and uh, hire uh, top quality available talent is still yeah. critical to the success of an organization. So still a top priority, uh, just less about, you know, some number of hires and really more about the criticality and the quality of the respective uh, 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 hires uh, that uh, need to be made to move that organization forward.
0: Right. And then it's like, so you start to look at, at kind of scale, even if it's not like hyper growth or anything like that, that we were seeing and the crazy growth markets of the last decade, but, you know, curious to get your thoughts too. It's like, as you kind of reach a later growth stage some of the you know some of the customers that you mentioned earlier the late stage category leading um, I, there's a need to become a lot more metrics and data driven and i feel like also a need to really map out the relationship between the company's north star metrics and hiring plans and being a little mm-hmm. bit more thoughtful about that and i'm kind of curious to when it comes to like metrics and data um what what you prioritize or feel like is most important, or or maybe like you could share where companies typically kind of mess it up or we can approach it however you want, but like just taking a more metrics, data-driven approach to hiring and how you see companies successfully make that transition to something a little bit more mature and systems-oriented.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, um, recruiting is ultimately a data-driven uh, organization. Uh, it, it could be thought about as an analogy to... A sales organization or or a marketing organization where there's a very clear uh, funnel uh, that um, uh, a, a, any of the you know respective you know prospects you know move through to go from uh, you know market uh, all the way through to to hire. Um, so with with regards to recruiting, uh, there's a couple you know core uh, data points that are that are critical to just the the basic functioning. Uh, or of, of an organization all of that can you know find its itself into uh what, what the market refers to as a, a capacity uh, model um, so a capacity model would commonly include um, something uh, that uh, quantifies number of hires needed to be made over a period of time uh, that could be net new hires it could be you know hires uh, based on attrition it could be uh you know and anything that you know equates to a number of hires need to be made and usually that could be uh parlayed out over some time period so mm-hmm. that's the demand side of the capacity model um then you have the supply side which is basically um the um mathematical um uh the the the, the, the what it takes mathematically in order to achieve that demand uh based on what recruitings uh either historic and or uh aspired capabilities are Um, so if you uh have you know let's say 12 openings uh over a one-year period that's your demand if you have one recruiter who's able to fill jobs at a pace of one hire per month uh then uh you have you know your one recruiter uh filling your 12 job capacity model Um, once that recruiter knows that that's where their demand is, what they would then use as metrics is the funnel. Um and so the funnel would basically start at the top, which is size of market, let's say the you know twelve roles or engineering roles. So they would go, say, the top of mar- the top of funnel would include the total number of engineers that e- even exist. Um that's the total. um then that recruiter would go engage that uh, engineering uh, demographic and there would be some form of a conversion. So from, The total market uh, recruiter engages them and then some number respond. So that's the top of funnel conversion. And then that conversion goes all the way through the interview process. So from the number of people that the recruiter that responds, the recruiter speaks to and screens that go through a first interview, they go through an onsite, they go through an offer that ultimately go through a hire. So that's referred to as a conversion uh, funnel. Um, And so based on those data points, you could mathematically derive how many uh, how much activity needs to exist at each stage in order to fulfill on whatever demand uh, is needed on the uh, on the demand side of the capacity model? So that's a very you know small scale uh, example, but you could just kind of multiply uh, that up. Um, you, could in- like, uh, sourcing, uh, uh, you could insert things like sourcing talent. You could insert things like different uh, channels. Um, you could have conversions for referrals. You could have conversions for. Uh, applicants get you up know, conversions for a whole slew of different uh, service partners, um, and so that whole kind of complex model uh, is the, you know, the basically the mathematical driver uh, for any uh, talent leader, or if it's not a talent leader, then you know organizational leader uh, driving the output of a of a recruiting organization.
0: I think that's like one of the biggest uh, things that a lot of companies miss out on is just not having enough of an analytical, data driven approach to hiring. Um, You know, I've worked with some pretty late growth stage companies that were overall pretty successful, but from a hiring perspective, really weren't where they need to be when it comes to technology, data reporting, like there was just a, a lot left to kind of be desired. And it was kind of a mess, right? Like working within an applicant tracking system that really has no structure, really no best practices built out. And there's just as a result, a, a lot of waste uh, that can occur as a result um, and potential growth opportunities missed out you have you're more likely to it, it impacts everything it can even impact like the employee experience if hiring plans aren't carefully considered uh, right you know people could be overhired. you can get the wrong people hired it can create cultural issues the bad glass door reviews then you have to let folks go if it's really bad or change out team members and then that creates more of a a, a hit to culture and it can take years to rebound off that so I mean, I've seen those types of things happening. And I think a lot of that can be prevented through just having a more structured approach to hiring, both in terms of like the quality of your interview process, but also the entire flow of like when jobs are opened up to the entire kind of flow of all the way to hiring, like the metrics that like any important metrics correlated to hiring, it can prevent a lot of very, very expensive mistakes.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, data-driven organizations, uh, data-driven recruiting organizations uh, tend to be, you know, leaps and bounds uh, more uh, successful than non-data-driven organizations. Um, for the most part, just kind of watching how the industry has evolved over the last decade, um, a lot of what I just shared is, you know, for the most part, considered common uh, knowledge. At this point, uh, most of the larger recruiting organizations have something like this, uh, for the most part, uh, in, in place. Um most uh, growth organizations are still, you know, are, are in that exact state where they're trying to figure out how to put something like this in place. Um, and then most smaller organizations uh, more fly by the seat of their pants. Though, so each size organization, if, if I were advising a, the earliest stage startup, I would ask them, I would recommend they build this model from day one, just so they themselves, or the founders themselves know uh, how they're doing. Most of them would be and are very surprised to see what the data shows as compared to whatever their you know, anecdotal view of uh, their recruiting success and thereof might respectively be.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Hey, for sure. And like startups are notorious too, for just getting, not necessarily always hi- hiring the right folks or um, just having some kind of misalignment across leadership teams or uh, having trouble articulating a, a clear employee value proposition or uh, about a million other things. Right. So I I definitely agree. Like, getting started early and building in the right process and technology from the jump is something that'll save a lot of headaches. And the people aspect of the business will not be a roadblock or a bottleneck when you need to start speeding up hiring, right? Like if if you wait to implement these things to where you're you know, 100, 200 employees and you still don't have it ironed out, then it's like when you do need to scale, or if you get to the point where you need to hire a significant headcount, then you're going to be slowed down while you figure all this stuff out. Right. so it's just one of those yeah. things you have to do. It's the same with your revenue org, your tech stack. You got to try to figure it out earlier on rather than later, otherwise it just becomes this huge bottleneck.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. The earlier you, the earlier you do it, the more you'll appreciate uh, it being uh, it being done.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think I, you know, just to kind of shift gears a little bit, get into leadership, um, you know, we you have gone through a lot of experiences over the past few years and a lot of different market conditions, right? Like coming out of like the bull markets that we saw, uh, you know, over the past like let's say 10 or 12 years to operating in a COVID environment, then going through an MA, uh, selling your, your business to going into working at category leading companies such as Robinhood to running MA, then talent acquisition so i'm sure that there's just been a ton of lessons learned and sure your head has just kind of exploded with a a lot of new experiences and insights over the past several years so i i'm kind of curious to get your your experience and thoughts on leading teams through kind of like uncharted waters like it just from a leadership perspective too and we can always of course tie it back to people but leadership is people so you know we don't even have to be like too thoughtful of tying it back to like hiring or whatever just like Generally speaking, like, really want to get your thoughts on the experiences that you've had over the past few years, and maybe some of the key takeaways that you've learned about leading teams as of late.
1: Um, yeah, that's a good that's a that's a good question. Um, yeah, thinking back on the years, and I'm still very much in the process of reflecting and doing a lot of journaling uh, and capturing these uh, these these lessons. I started recruiting in 2002, which was right after the major dot com. Uh, crash. So the big kind of headline at that time was, you know, 50% of recruiters just left the business. Um, and I thought that was like the greatest thing ever. Uh, so I was like, sweet, less, less competition, let's go. Um, and I didn't know anything. I was kind of a newbie, you know, trying to you know figure out what to do with my life. Um, but it turned out that was at the very beginning of this, you know, really uh, nice little growth uh, curve um, that then crashed in 2008 um, and then, and then from there, I uh, found myself at the very kind of early days of that of the last decade, um, and so we wrote that in a, in a really nice uh, way. Um, th- th- there were some you know reasonable kind of like you know curves through that time, but the major you know tough time uh, that I'm going back to right now was COVID, um, and I think every leader and every person has some version of a of a COVID uh, story. Uh, we had just finished our peak. Uh, our peak year, our most successful year in the history of our company Um, and then, and then COVID, right. And then it it all, uh, it all crashed down. Um, We thought we would completely, uh, we, we, we didn't think we would survive. uh, um, Though we did end up surviving and we did end up rebuilding our culture um, much faster uh, than we, uh, than than we expected. Um, A big uh, element of that was uh, authenticity, uh, transparency, um and and that was for the purpose of building trust uh with our with our team and then you know through the the building of trust with our team we were able together, uh you know address the problems that we were experiencing uh and then together experience the you know successes uh and the benefits that once the market respectively picked up we were able to then enjoy the those the fruits of that uh, labor um Move it on into 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 uh, Robinhood. Uh, the first year, uh, you know, the market was still continuing to experience up into the right uh, elements, and then you know, last year was on the you know turbulent side um, with you know some some really difficult you know technology industry market uh, conditions. Um, from like a generic leadership perspective, um, it's critical that a leader uh, knows the mission uh, of the team that they're respectively uh, leading. So clear mission clear vision, what is it that we together are all aspiring to do? Um, it's critical that uh, the, the team um, knows its respective part in fulfilling uh, that mission and vision. So everyone needs clear role and responsibilities. Everyone needs really clear expectations. Everyone needs clear management and support structure. Um, it's cl- critical that there's a common set of uh, values. So like the, you know, the culture, the um, you know decision making uh, criteria, uh, the thing that bonds us uh, together. Uh, we had that. Um, we built an incredibly strong version of that at, at Bink. If you go talk to any uh, Bink alumni, they'll tell you what it was like working there, and, and they'll likely tell you very common things and using kind of common uh, terms and common uh, values to describe that. And we were values and culture driven uh, organization. Um, and then you ultimately want to be able to measure your results. So you want the data, you want the metrics. So you want to be able to like show the team how it's doing uh, you know, through all of its effort, through the living of the values in service of that mission. And so you want to be able to do that on a very regular, rhythmic basis. And that builds trust, that builds confidence, uh, that builds the motivation to you know, persevere uh, through whatever tough time uh you might be uh you know working respectively through And i, I found you know in in enlisting some of those you know kind of like foundational elements um the team tends to respond with um you know like the the they 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 tend to respond with um well i guess the, the absent of what i just shared the floor is wobbly and moving um the, the uh, uh if you're able to effectively implement uh, what i just shared the floor become be, starts to sustain or the team starts to better understand how to respond to the perpetually moving times um yeah. and then they tend to respond more confidently in doing their job and they tend to do their job better which tends to be you know better in service of the mission so kind of like self fulfills itself um as things uh, as things progress uh what i'll just say kind of i'll just share one one of the neat things we did um, uh, with this at Bink. So um, we we changed our service model uh, a handful of times because um, we were never loyal to the service model. We were always loyal to market conditions and what would create most value for the for the customer. At what point, one point, we noticed that the market was just changing so fast and every company wanted something so different. Um, what we What we were offering wasn't a value to the market in the same way that it was in previous market conditions. And so we simply just took a look at our service model and adapted it. We created flexibility. We created um, like basically like complete uh, uh, flexibility to the point where we renamed our service model Flex. Um, And then we basically just like embraced the culture uh, of the market that we were a part of. And we said, not only are we good in Flex, like we're built for Flex. Uh, We're built. And so then our team, you know, instead of like, worrying about the changing times or knowing or feeling the need to figure out how to survive. Like we thrived in the dynamic times because our mar- our our service model was built for that. So I believe a good leader can, you know, work, can, can, um, you know, uh, lead their organization, uh, in some of the similar kind of analogies or ways uh, that I respectively, uh, described.
0: Yeah, it's hard too. it's like, how do you respond quickly to market conditions without making a false step? Like that could be detrimental in a sense. and that's like walking that fine line. like I feel like it is very important to, in a sense, be aggressive and fast in decision making, particularly in turbulent times. Right. Uh, and also to do such a way that is not reckless, I suppose, and sustainable. And like it's from a pricing strategy to a contract strategy, those are things that like I've been giving a lot of time to. Uh, and thinking about a, a fair amount, and trying to really closely align with feedback that we're getting from customers and uh, from prospective customers, and uh, and we are like it seems like as you say, kind of constantly sort of tweaking and and making sure that uh, people considering us, along with existing customers, know that we are trying to build a solution specifically around their needs. And that it's, it might look a little bit different. Like we have a basic concept of what we think it'll look like. However, we're curious to get your thoughts too. What are you looking for? And we try to, we're shifting the conversation more to like the customers, like, what do you need? What do you want? Before kind of providing like, this is what we do. It's like going to the customers and asking like, well, what do you need? What are you looking for? Do you have any ideas in mind? Like, have you kind of given thought to what would be your ideal situation? And then we just, from the very jumps, try to kind of cater the conversation to exactly um, what it is that, that they may be looking for. Uh, and you have to be very in tune with that in a, in a turbulent market. It's in a good market. People just, they don't seem to be changing too much in terms of what they're looking for, but for whatever reason in these types of markets, you're right. It's like, there's a huge variance. Like people are just looking for different stuff. So, yeah, that's right.
1: Being You know, paying attention to your customers, paying attention to the market being hyper observant, uh, is critical, um, during, uh, tougher times. Uh, so is working twice as hard for half the pay. Uh, so, so is nurturing, uh, high value relationships. Um, so, um, a lot of valuable things to do during tough times. Uh, but I found that, you know, through, through some of the handful of, uh, of, 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 these sorts of experiences, uh, these are kind of like tried and true, uh, methods, uh, to like sustain, make it through, and then ultimately find yourself you know, stronger on the, on the other side.
0: Yeah. 100%. I, you know, there was one other kind of like uh, just tying back to directly to recruiting uh, one, one final topic before we, uh, we, we uh, wrap up today. I, I, I love your motto. Like one of the things that you told me, you were talking about like how everyone is recruitable and I, I love that. Right. I think it's really interesting. Could you kind of, could you share that concept and philosophy with us and how it's applicable to building a talent first culture like what exactly I mean I guess I, I know what you mean by it but like can you can we dive into it a little bit more from uh, just like a high level kind of like uh motto if you will
1: yeah yeah um I'll, I'll, I'll usually say uh, everyone's recruitable um, in, in in one of two situations one is you know if I'm talking to like a founder of a company or a, or a hiring leader and they already have a preconceived notion, of who they of who they want but that preconceived notion might be limited in some uh, way or not as you know aspirational um uh, as if you know it really was uh limitless um and so in that situation we'll really try to remove any bounds and have them kind of like close their eyes and just kind of like really envision like the best possible uh person uh um that they can imagine uh for whatever you know roles uh they're they're uh, trying to fill um, then, of course, we'll jump into like, you know, why that why that person would be attracted to here and we'll start to craft a value proposition. The other the other time when we'll uh, when when I'll, I'll go to something like this is when recruiting uh, is hitting their own, you know, version of a ceiling like and recruiting does it does this to themselves all the time. They'll say, oh, people from this company won't be interested in working here. I'm not going after people at this company anymore because or "Oh, I'm not going after that segment of the market because. Um, and really what they're telling me is that their value proposition that they've crafted isn't you know at this point in time compelling enough uh to attract that caliber of talent so we'll then you know go go to the drawing board on the value proposition we'll say okay let's take a look at you know who you're going after uh let's you know remove all limits remove all bounds let's take a look at the value proposition you're using usually the, the at that point we'll find that the pitch uh or the or the you know engagement messaging is super mediocre um, and we'll work to improve it uh to the point where we'll want to get you know some of this you know um um you know any 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 person sort of talent um on, on a call and then understand things about their interests about their ambitions about why they work where they work about what good would have to look like uh in order for uh you know them to you know, consider a, a, a job change what good would have to look like at this organization that they're respectively speaking to and then you get these these amazing people that were you know uh historically unrecruitable you get them talking about what it would take for them to join right like you know uh, and, and and this applies to any single person in the world if you sit them down in a place where there's a little bit of trust uh, like a, like a podcast, right? You could, you, you, you could extract some incredible, valuable insight about what it would take for them to make a move. And it's it's different for everyone. Sometimes it might be uh, the specific job. Sometimes it might be the level of the job. Sometimes it might be the compensation. Sometimes it might be the growth trajectory of the company. Sometimes it might be the culture. Sometimes it might be work-life balance. Sometimes it might be something lifestyle related. Sometimes it might be something interest or personal related. We've seen all sorts of different elements of that Um, and so, you know, through, through, through exercises like that, um, what, what, what then happens if you can get like a founding team or like a leadership team, uh, uh, like aspiring for talent in a little bit of an ambitious way. Um, and then you can get the recruiting team kind of like, you know, off of their, you know, little, little kind of, you know, place of, you know, their own kind of limitations of not thinking they to recruit, uh, who they've been going after, um, some, some nice magic happens. Uh, and i heard founders say things like, wow, I cannot believe the quality of talent that we're recruiting here. Or like, uh, like I'm really starting to feel some swagger here uh, with regards to the type of talent that we're going after. And, you know, one win leads to a little more courage to go after the second win. And before you know it, like you got, you got leadership and recruiting swinging for some like, incredible, like swinging for incredible talent and bringing them in. And that at scale begins to really kind of like change the dynamic, completely change the dynamic of an organization.
0: I agree. I think that it's, and it's not just about recruiting. It's like a lot of things in business I'll notice, like people will set goals around what they think is like realistic or achievable, which of course is important. Like our decision-making has to be based in reality. However, like one of the things that I try to push my leadership team to do and just folks in the organization is to think like, well, that's not like, okay, we can, do what's what if okay, maybe that is realistic and maybe that is going to be the goal. But assuming that we had you had more budget or you had more resources or infinite resources, like what would be your ideal scenario? What exactly would we do? Right. And and working from that place. And then it's like, well, let's figure out if we can make that happen. Even if we might not be able to make it happen today, how can we put it in the forecast? How can we make right. sure we're there in a couple of quarters? And let's start there. Let's not start with kind of like a you know, the 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 less ideal solution. The less ideal solution might be a band-aid, but let's let's try to make that a band-aid and then work toward creating enough value or whatever to get to the point where we can do the real deal. And I, I think it's almost in a sense like human nature. Like a lot of times people just won't be coming from the mindset of like, okay, if I had all the resources I need, they they're looking at the reality of the environment today, but you almost want people that can look at like the reality of what could become you know, what could become our reality over the next six to 12 months, like when we're building companies, that's what we're doing. We're creating things. And right. we have to, like, and that comes down to like process and how we execute on a day-to-day basis. It's not just creating the long-term mission. We have to be thoughtful of how that kind of cascades down to individual decision-making and how we do everything from like positioning an employee value proposition to positioning our solution to customers, our product, right? And mm-hmm it's it's everything right
1: and i think every company can you know connect to some version of of you know being able to point to the successes that they've achieved because of some you know uh high value maybe intangible you know maybe real distinguished quality that some person brought like it was like every company could say it was like our designer really did this or our you know engineering leader really did this or our sales you know, person really did, or whatever it was, but there's usually like specific people that did things that contributed to the company's success. So if you could really kind of imagine the, kind of the, 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 the ideal quality of person or the ideal person for whatever job it is that's being recruited for, um, and then you're able to like tune your recruiting machine to be able to go attract and, uh, uh, attract and hire that, um, again, some, some really powerful things can, can, can happen at, at Aggregate.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, Boris, this is uh, this has been a really fun conversation. I always have a good time chatting with you. A lot of good insight here that I know will guide talent strategy. I can see uh, leaders dropping this in Slack channels uh, for their team. So uh, thank you very much for your contribution today. And, and I, I really appreciate you joining me on the show.
1: Awesome. Thanks, James. Yeah, great joining uh, you as well. Thanks for the um, engaging questions. It was fun to uh, chat it up. Um, and yeah, looking forward to this, this, uh, this episode dropping.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Um, Well, hey, everybody tuning in, thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll talk to you real soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and gained a lot of valuable insights to help guide your talent strategy. I also want to say thank you to my team at Secure Vision for making the show possible. Secure Vision is the number one embedded recruitment provider, and we are a three-time category leader on G2. Secure Vision partners with over 150 companies to provide on-demand recruiters who specialize in either tech, revenue, or GNA. For more information, you can visit securevision.io. For more content, you can follow me on LinkedIn at James Mackey or on Twitter at James Mackey DMV. We've dropped links in the description. If you want to be on our show or have any topics you'd like for us to cover, reach out at breakthroughhiring.io. We really appreciate your support with reviews on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for a new episode. See you next time.